Well, good morning. Good morning. Good to see you uh, today. Just coming off a holiday weekend. I don't know if you're a little bit sleepy-eyed. I am, but um, we'll we'll move into it a, a little bit slow, and then we'll we'll pick up um, with a video that'll smack us in the face, and uh, and then we'll uh, we'll go from there. How many people here have been um, married longer than 50 years? Okay. How about 30 years? How about 10 years? How many are single? Okay. Great. So, Clay, um, he just... He kicked off a series on a Sunday night, part of the anatomy of the church, that was just um, superb. If you weren't there, you ought to listen to the video. But he really, in there, armed you, following out of what Pastor Farrell has been teaching, as to why it doesn't matter whether you've been married more than 50 years or you're sitting here single, single as a young man or single as an older man. Why what we're going to study over the next two weeks, and in fact, this entire section is important to you. It's because we've all been called to go and make what? Disciples. And so, let me ask you a question. Did Jesus make disciples? Did Paul make disciples? Was Jesus married? Was Paul married? I had nothing to do with being married and making disciples, it has to do with knowing Christ and knowing his word and then how to take his word and, uh, as Brother Mark would say, get the log out of our own eyes and then be able to help other people get the log out of their eyes. And so you can, you can help, and in fact we're called to help one another and speak the truth into one another, and, and you don't have to be um, a married man to help somebody that's a single man. And you can be a single man, and you can help somebody that's a married man. But obviously, the key is being filled with the Spirit, and the key is understanding what God has said in every area. We're, we're to be conformed to the image of Christ, and we're to understand all of His words. So this is enormously important for for all of us, because beyond just the marriage relationship that we're going to look at today and next week, specifically husband and wife, there are so many applications in just relationships in general. So. This really is a, a tremendous series for everybody, and I just wanted to make sure that you got that, you, you understood that, whatever um, state you're in. And we, we never arrive, so we're always pursuing. Clay showed us that. So I, I myself, by the grace of God, have been married over 50 years, and I'm still pursuing to be the man we're going to look at over the next two weeks that God's called me to be, because I surely have not arrived yet. And I'm confident I'm speaking to a room full of men who haven't arrived. So... Uh, it should be uh, a great couple of weeks. Obviously, Pastor Brian isn't here. Um, he is down at the Outer Banks um, trying to forget that there's a hurricane heading his way and enjoy himself. Pray for that dear brother and his family. Uh, I wish he wasn't having to go through that. Pray he'll have wisdom what to do. But um, I'm standing uh, in his place and, and feel privileged to do that. Last week we uh, looked at, we began this whole uh, series on shepherding families, 
and and we looked at the man um, or the family, I should say, that God blesses, and we started out with Psalm 128, 127, and um, looked at those texts and looked basically at two truths that the family that God blesses has to be a family that fears the Lord, and in particular as men, men who fear the Lord and men who walk in in their ways. And so um, that's where we that's where we picked up. And as you can see, this week we're going to pick up reversing uh, the curse in marriage. Now, I, I usually need something a little bit light this early in the morning, so I'm going to give you something a little bit light. Perhaps you've heard it before. Many of you probably had. But um, because of uh, our depravity, we always have a tendency left to ourselves to downgrade, not upgrade. That's why things aren't continually getting better. They're getting worse. We know know that. The Scripture tells us that apart from grace. And uh, this is just cute, but in some ways, if you've been married any length of time, as we dive into this, this might come back to sort of like smack you in the face. It's called the seven stages of a married cold. How many of you have ever heard that? The seven stages of a married cold. This is the first year, and a husband's reaction to his wife being sick, his wife having a cold. And, of course, we know we're going to read the passages here in a minute, how we're called to love our wives, love our wives sacrificially, lavish them in love. And so here is um, an analogy, if you will, of a husband's reaction to a wife's cold during the first seven years of marriage. First year, sugar dumpling, I'm really worried about my baby girl. You've got a bad sniffle, and there's no telling about these things with all the strep throat going around. I'm putting you in a hospital this afternoon for a general checkup and a good rest. Second year of marriage. Listen, darling, I don't like the sound of that cough. I've called Doc Miller to rush over here. Now, you go to bed like a good girl for Papa. Third year. Maybe you better lie down, honey. Nothing like a little rest when you're feeling lousy. I'll bring you something. Have we got a can of soup? Fourth year. Now, look, dear, be sensible. After you've fed the kids and got the dishes done and the floor finished, you better lie down. Fifth year, why don't you take a couple aspirins? It's okay to laugh, unless his deep conviction is keeping you from it. Sixth year, I wish you'd just gargle or something instead of sitting around barking like a seal all evening. Seventh year, for Pete's sake, stop sneezing. You're going to give me pneumonia. I hope that's uh, not us, but um, truthfully, the scripture is clear. Apart from grace, that is us, because we think marriage is all about who? Us. Our pleasure, our needs. After all, um, God gave us a helpmeet, and that's what she's supposed to spend her life doing, is serving me, right? Right? Well, maybe that's not exactly the correct interpretation of these passages, and uh, we'll look at it as we jump in. Let's just start this morning by looking 
at the first text in the primary uh, text that we'll look at today in Ephesians chapter 5. And so join me there. You're well acquainted with Ephesians, and the doctrinal portion of this book has already taken place, and we're all the way here in in chapter 5, and chapter 5 is um, outflowing of the fact that because we were once dead, lost in trespasses and sin, and now because we're made alive in Christ and we sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus and, and are filled with the Spirit and have the power of the resurrected Christ available to us with His all-sufficient Word, we are too. And, and all the way here in chapter 5, it's, it's rolling it out. We're to walk in love. And we're to walk in light. or to walk in His Word. We're, we're to walk in wisdom. And uh, even as we were talking about again, Clay, on Sunday night, part of that wisdom is we continually pursue knowing the will of God, the ways of God. That That's what... Why do we do that? Because we fear the Lord and because as men we want to walk in His ways. And so that's a continual pursuit through out of our life. And that doesn't happen unless we walk in humility and the fear of the Lord. And, and that brings us right up to these uh, passages. And so look, if you uh, would, at verse 21. That's the end of one paragraph. We'll talk more about that later and probably much more next week. But it begins by, say, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. There's that humility. We don't submit without a humility. And, and a man of God is called to submit first to the Lordship of Christ. And... Um, and then it goes on, new uh, paragraph and a, and a new thought, and it's talking about um, the marriage. Look what it says. It says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church and the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as Christ is subject, excuse me, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands and everything. Really, um, in this day and age, sadly, very controversial passages that are, are misconstrued, and you hear everything in the world about it. And, and Pastor Brian, not all that long ago, preached a very clear message on this on a Sunday morning uh, about what does it mean. Um, a wife's submission, a wife arranging herself under her husband, and, and, and we certainly uh, will talk about that. But here's what I wanted to hit you. Um, I understand this is a translation, and so it's in English. I did not go back and count Greek words. But if you just look at the English verses, you will find that in the um, text here, that there is at the most three and a half verses directed to the wife. I'm not going to tell you that they're not pointed and they're not something that you have to understand. You have to understand them, but you have to keep reading. And then the next ten and a half verses are for us. Now that ought to speak to us. What what do you think? Three verses of instruction, if you will, for the wife, and then ten and a half for us. That that right there ought to 
ought to speak to us of the magnitude of the responsibility at a minimum. I don't know. I reared kids and helped reared grandkids. And some kids, you just only have to, like, tell them a short paragraph. They get it. And then you got other kids, you got to give them all ten verses before they get it. And uh, it just might be we needed ten verses to get what it is that we're supposed to do as men. Don't you think maybe that might have had uh, something uh, to do with it? And so there's a, there's a lot of teaching here. And, and we want to we want to jump uh, into it uh, for sure. And so let's pray, and we're going to watch a video, and then we're going to get into this. And as we get into this, let me let me just say we're going to take two weeks on this one section. So we're only going to cover at the most half of it today, and then half of it next week. So there's plenty of time for interface here for questions. And um, you may ask a question that I'm going to address later, and so I, I, I may just say that. We'll get to that. But I, I do want us to have an opportunity to inter, interface and share and, and glean from one another. So we, we will be doing that. So, Father, as we meet together this morning, our great desire is to become more like Christ. Uh, Lord, uh, we're pursuing him in the word this morning. And in one measure, though the sacrifice was small, Every man that's here sacrificed some to come. And we came because we want to know you. We, we love you. We want to grow in that understanding of your word and um, how to be um, a godly man, how to be um, a Christ-like husband, um, how to help others be godly men and Christ-like husbands. And so, Father, in um, still your word deep into our hearts, through the power of the Holy Spirit, bring that conviction. Um, Lord, may we hunger and thirst after righteousness. May we seek to be quick to repent and believe. And grant us that grace in this hour this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Nate, show us the video, please. Look me in dead in the eye. Go home and love your wife. Now you don't understand. We're just not in love anymore. I didn't ask you to be in love. I said go home and love your wife. The Bible commands you to. Husbands, love your wife. You're commanded to. Well, no, no, you just, I just, no, I just don't feel like that. Okay, fine. The Bible says love your neighbor as yourself. Your wife is your closest neighbor. Don't love her because she's your closest neighbor. Well, she's not even my closest neighbor. I moved out. That's fine. Jesus said, by this all men will know that you're my disciple, that you have love one for another. So love her because she's your sister in Christ. Well, I don't even know what she's saying. That's fine. The Bible says love your enemies. <laughs> it is absolutely inexcusable for a man who follows Christ to stop loving his wife. It's a choice. It's an act of the will. And we walk away because we don't have a biblical way of view. And we say things like, well, I'm just not happy. 
And I just don't believe that God would want me to stay in a marriage and be unhappy. Are you serious? Let me see if I understand this correctly. Jesus Christ, the spotless, sinless Lamb of God, was crushed and killed for the glory of the Father, but you, he wouldn't want unhappy. Suck it up and go home. It is an act of the will. It is a choice. It is accompanied by emotion. It means, ladies, it's not led by emotion. As that teenage girl loved. Oh my God, I love him! <laughs> Which ought to always be followed by this week. Amen. Amen. It's not born of emotion. Biblical love is not void of emotion. And again, I talk to, I hear this from guys all the time. I think they can sell that stuff to me. I'm just not an emotional man. I'm just more of an analytical type. And she wants me to be emotional, and I'm just not a very emotional man. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Whoa, 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 what do you mean? You don't even know me that well, and you're calling me a liar, and I just said I'm not a very emotional man. Why are you upset that I called you a liar if you're not emotional? <laughs> Because here's another one I know. When you're out on the golf course and you shank one, you'll just stand there and say, I think you'll hit that one poorly. <laughs> <laughs> you're watching the ball game and your team getting beat by a tie-up goat. <laughs> you'll just sit there and say, they seem to have far more points than we do at this time. <laughs> and if you went to work tomorrow and your stuff was on the sidewalk with a pink slip, you wouldn't stand there and say, well, I really haven't enjoyed my tenure. <laughs> a man who looks at his wife and says he's just not emotional is actually saying to her, you don't matter as much as my golf game, my favorite team, or my job. Tad convicting, huh? Well, look at your um, your outline uh, there, starting with uh, study uh, two. Um, we're going to look at the uh, at the scripture and recovering understanding God's uh, point of view on marriage. And in the very first paragraph, it says we want to cover what it means for a man to bring redemptive influence into the relationship with his wife. And even before we go any further. So uh, you read that. Uh, I know when I'm um, sitting out where you are, my normal um, habit, if I do not do it prior to the day, is I, I get up in the in the morning and I, I go over the outline so that I'm prepared when I come in here. I, I hope that's your habit too. But I stop right there in, in your inductive study. So what exactly does that mean? Talk to me for a minute, if you would. What does it mean that we're, we're going to undertake this study because as men, we want to bring a redemptive influence into our marriage. What, is, what does that mean? Somebody help me out. God's taking a center and making the head of the home. Okay, God is the center, making God the center and the head of the home. All right? Who can amplify on that? Redemptive influence into our marriage. I think it assumes, first of all, something may be broken. Aha, so something's broken. Good. 
So something's broken. We know that Christ has to be the head. Christ has given us his, his word, and we have to learn how to bring the word to bear so that the spirit can take... I mean, what is the ultimate purpose of marriage? The glory of God. The glory of God. I mean, let me put it this way, um, if I might. Rich, you spoke the gospel, right? You, you can't get saved until first you know you're lost. We, we aren't going to bring a redemptive influence into our marriage until we're looking and saying, what's the biblical standard and, and, and what's wrong? What, what needs to be fixed? What needs to be fixed in my life and what needs to be fixed in my wife's life? And only God can change a heart. And how does God change hearts? Through his word. Empowered by the Spirit. So, I have to look at that. Paul Tripp says something like this. And uh, several others. Um, I, I love um, a chapter heading in uh, one of the books that I have that says um, something to this effect uh, that I, I try to shock early on in premarital counseling. My wife and I love to do premarital counseling. It's probably one of my favorite things to do. But early on is to look at that couple and say, i got news for you. When you wake up the first morning of your new married life on your honeymoon, you're soon going to realize that you married a sinner. And, you know, they look at you like, well, you know, obvious. No, you think it's obvious now, but you're going to find out then. <laughs> and we know that, right? Because we've been there. And, and I think it was Paul Tripp that said this. Marriage is a flawed person marrying a flawed person in a fallen world, but with a faithful God who has given us his all-sufficient word. And, and we have to understand both of that if we're going to bring that redemptive uh, measure into a marriage, and we have to understand the ultimate purpose of marriage. And the ultimate purpose of par- marriage is is our conformity to the image of Christ. It's, it's been said by others much better than me. God's concerned about my holiness, my wife's holiness, and not our, what? Happiness. Uh, God is concerned primarily with our conformity to the image of Christ, and not our comfort. And in fact, we find as we go through life, Sometimes when we're uncomfortable and not happy, that's when he's doing the greatest work in our hearts and our lives. But we need to understand those, those truths, uh, which again is what was echoed all day long uh, Sunday as we looked at the anatomy of the church and then our responsibility as believers. So uh, it all flows here. We need to understand that ultimate purpose in marriage. So... Let's look back at that text again. And we read verse 21, but now let's look in and dive into the rest of it. And I'm going to keep reading now the heavy part for us. 
Husbands, looking at verse 25, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, of his bones. For this reason, this is being pulled from Mark 10, for this reason... A man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. It's God that makes them one flesh. It's God's work when two come together and they consummate a marriage after making that covenant commitment one to another. And God says, I've put it together, let man not put it asunder. Verse 32. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respect or reverence her husband. So we we see this unfolding truth under the submitting to the fear of the Lord, submitting to the lordship of Christ that uh, that unfolds, and He gives us here principles of redemptive leadership in marriage. And so we're going to begin to uh, look at them. So uh, principle number one is we offer ourselves to our wives as Christ did the church. Verse 25, husbands love your wives. And he tells us how we're to do it. We're to do it in the same way as Christ loved the church. And then he tells us how he did that. And he gave himself, of course, for the church. And there on A, that means that there's an initiation I mean, think, think about it deeply for a minute. How flawed the diabolical the theology is, is that somehow I can climb up to God. Um, they tried that in, uh, in, in Genesis and built a tower. It didn't work very well, did it? And, and it's never worked well. If he didn't come down to us, there is going to be no salvation. He, he has to come to us. He, he initiated. And, and love initiates. For God so loved the world. He initiated. And, and we as men many times don't want to be the initiator. But if we're going to be like Christ, we initiate that love. Uh, love is primarily in the New Testament an imperative. It is primarily an action word. It involves attitudes, of course, but it's primarily action. It's it's calling us to something and calling us something uh, very specific. And and that love is calling us to her welfare, to her welfare, 
not to our happiness, her, her welfare, her well-being, her Christ-likeness, uh, if, if you will. Um, the passages all the way through um, that we just read are calling us to be willing to love in the manner and the extent that Christ did. If you're taking notes or they're in your notebook, if, if, if you like to write, um, I would put this down. The essence, the essential or the essence, the, um, what's the word I'm trying to say? The, yes, the essence, thank you, the essence of biblical love. We're so confused about what love is. What is agape love? The word, that, what does that actually mean? And it means at least, at least three things. Minimal S's for you, so it'll be easy. But but first, it's self-forgetting. It's a self-forgetting love. Somebody look up for me Luke 10.27, and somebody else look up for me Philippians 1.21 and 2.3. So who would, who would read for me Luke 10.27? Somebody please, Nate. When we are consumed with that love, who's the one person we're not thinking about? Ourselves. And, and, and biblical love always involves forgetting about self and, and focusing on Christ because Christ is our life. Who has Philippians 121? Can you read that for me? Someone please? To live is what? Christ. And to die is gain. And then Paul continues, of course, with the entire second chapter of Philippians. But somebody read Philippians 2.3. He sort of gives the practical application of what does it mean when I'm consumed with Christ. I'm living with Christ because I love Christ completely. Read Philippians 2.3, please. Do nothing from selfish, <coughs> selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. So when, when, we, when we look at the total of that, we see that biblical love is self-forgetting. It's, it's not thinking about ourselves, and specifically, of course, in this passage, it's thinking about the Lord and what he has called us to relative to our wives. So it's, it's self-forgetting. It's also, we can see there very clearly, it's self sacrificing it's self-sacrificing we have to forget about self but it's not just forgetting about ourselves we have to also in grace be willing to sacrifice the self-sacrifice for our wife in the same way christ self-sacrificed for us somebody look up john 15 12 and 13 for me who will take that passage john 15 12 and 13 I got one there, and then somebody look up for me Romans 5, 8 through 10. Who will read Romans 5, 8 through 10 when I ask you? So I got a volunteer. All right, got two in the back. So we got a self-forgetting love. We have a self-sacrificing love. Read the passage from John 15. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater 
So we have to lay down our life. Love is laying down your life. It's, it's yes, forgetting about yourself because you're living for Christ. But what did Christ do? Christ laid down his life. And we have to lay down our lives uh, for, our, for our wives. And um, we, we, we'll get into that, um, what that means. How about Romans 5, 8 through 10? you feel the weight of that? I mean, that's what biblical love is. It's self-sacrificing. That's what he did for us. We were his enemies. I mean, sometimes you're living with your wife. You're living in a covenant relationship with her. And, and he, he was joking on the one hand, but on the other hand, it can almost seem like, what, are you against me? Are you my, are you my enemy? And yet, what did Christ do? While well, we were yet enemies, He died for us, and 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 He made it possible that we that were enemies. What does reconciliation mean? One of one of the definitions of reconciliation would be: I was once far off because I was an enemy, and by the power of the gospel, I was drawn close into a friendship. And so there would be those times in our relationship with our wives where we're, we're far off. And so that's when we give her a lecture. That's when we straighten her out. That's when we let her know who is the boss. No. No, that's, that's when we die. We, we die to self. And empowered by the, by the Spirit, we, we love her. So that the Spirit, I can't change your heart, but that the Spirit of God might flow through me, throw, flow through you and, and reconcile us back to ourselves. You see that? And that is clearly a self-sacrificing love to do that. So we're self-forgetting, we're self-sacrificing, and we have to be selfless. And I'm just going to put down uh, there for you 1 Corinthians um, 13, 4 through 8a. There has to be a, a selfless uh, love. Uh, I love this quote by MacArthur speaking about genuine love, it being a, a selfless love. It's, it's, it's all of these. It's self-forgetting. It's self-sacrifice. It's, it's a selfless Love and First Corinthians thirteen gives us some exact parameters what that looks like, what what that means, and I'm sure you're familiar with it. MacArthur says genuine love is not merely a feeling or an involuntary attraction; it involves a willful choice, and that is why the word is often in the form of an imperative. But we're commanded to this kind of love, to this self-forgetting, 
self-sacrificing, selfless love. We're commanded. It's an imperative. Far from being something we fall into by happenstance, authentic love involves a deliberate, voluntary commitment to sacrifice whatever we can for the good of the person we love. And so we must have that correct understanding of what biblical love is if we're going to proceed through the rest of this handout. It says there in number one, we are to love in the manner that he did, um, giving yourself up while he was still enemies. talks about going as far as necessary to secure her holiness. In other words, her conformity to the image of Christ. And I'm deleting that. So that means I need to be open to the work of grace in my own life, pursuing my own holiness and, and my own walk with the Lord and, and recognize that, that often as my covenant partner, she will help me in that as much as I, as I help her. Look at the two underneath there. Christ never tolerated us, but he loved us lavishly despite who we were. He loved us lavishly. As we think in the context of everything we've talked up about this point, what are some of the ways that a husband might love, biblical love, love his wife lavishly? What would be some of the ways a husband might love his wife lavishly? Let's get practical for a minute. We've been called, it's an imperative, we've been called to love our wives. Obviously, we're to, did Christ lavishly love us? And in a redemptive way, all right, so let's get practical. How do we do that? George? Uh, Satan loves to get us to twist uh, things in our, in, our, in our minds. So let me give you a negative example first. At, uh, at our marriage two, two years ago, on, at the rehearsal, we did faith wedding vows. And, uh, and I started off with that, that, Margie, knowing that God has called me to love you as Christ love the church and present you holy and faultless before him, I promise to discover all your faults and weaknesses and help you to correct them. <laughs> okay. That's the opposite of sacrificial. Yes. And yet we think we're doing it. You know, we think right. we're on track. So there's, there's a place to speak the truth and love, but just to be plain old ornery and critical isn't, isn't the approach lavishing our wives in love. Now, come on. I'm not going to let you off. I don't care if we stay here the rest of the time. How do you lavish your wife in love? You don't know how to? Some? I have a thought that's hard. I'll share this. Okay. Uh, so when I hear lavish, I think about Christ's love for me. It's displayed when I was at my worst. Right? So when we're sinned against for my wives, and sometimes it's hard, very hard, to move in warmly in love toward her in that moment with a kind word, embrace, uh, versus argumentative, defending ourselves, uh, trying to get our pound of flesh because we've been offended. I think that's one of the hardest things for me personally to do, um, but one of the most glorious moments in my marriage when I can most display the love of Christ is when I'm sending this in the worst way. 
discounting my life in this moment. But, <laughs> but we're all here. shocked that Mary uh, that that would ever happen. That Mary would ever do that. But uh, yeah. but very. I mean, does that resonate with you? What he just said. Yeah, sure. And that's tough. I mean, you got to die to self. You got to forget about yourself. I mean, what? Hold it. Let's just get honest, okay? She she does something that really rankles you. I mean, she just crossed you. Now, don't tell me that doesn't happen. Come on, guys, it does. All right? What's the deal? And she could see it—the hair standing up on the back of your head. And 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 the first thing that's going through your mind is my rights. Wait a minute. I'm the man. I'm the leader. And as soon as we do that, we need to repent. It's never about my rights. What rights do I have? I have the right to go to hell except for the fact that God saved me, right? It's not about rights. It's about my responsibility is to be obedient to Christ. And Christ says I've got to die to self. I have to be self-sacrificial. And so I need to lavish her with love, in some cases with gentleness. We'll talk more about that later, but for, for most of us, it's very hard to be gentle. Not, not gentle from your point of view. Gentle from a woman's point of view. So in that moment when she has hurt you or sinned against you, it's very hard to be gentle, isn't it? That needs to be empowered by the Spirit. But there's a, a gentleness as we forgive. Would you believe this is true? Let me ask you if you believe this is true. If your wife sins against you and the Spirit of God in His time brings her to repentance and she seeks forgiveness, do you believe that you should be able to say with all sincerity, yes, I have already forgiven her? Do you think you should be able to do that? Was there a model prayer that somebody gave once? What was that model prayer? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. I don't need to wait for my wife to see that she's failed. I don't need to wait to see that my wife has sinned. First thing I better do in my heart is say, Lord Jesus, that I'm aware of, my sin is greater than the height of the Himalaya Mountain. And you forgave all. That means that her sin in comparison to me is this big. So God, give me the grace right now to forgive her. Because I'm not going to do what Clay just said if I don't forgive her in my heart. I have to forgive her first. I have to look at the mountain that I have been forgiven. Ephesians 4, 29-32 and see that that's how I'm going to be kind and tender forgiving one another, even as Christ, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven me. Yes, Brother Paul? There are a lot of times in a confrontation, both people are wrong at some level, and I'm trying to help people realize the only person we can ever change is ourselves. We can't correct anybody else, not even our kids. They ultimately have that same choice. But I find that
interested in this confrontation, I asked him to show you what needs to change, what you did wrong, and help him direct you how to handle the conflict in the first place, and that you will soften you know, your spouse or your children or whoever you have a conflict with their hearts and eyes, but not that we can tell them what their fault is, because no one wants to hear a fault when you're in the middle of a conflict. Mm -hmm. I have found it can only be done in the spirit. After all these years, I would be lying to you if I told you it was easy. It is not easy. But when my wife sins against me, inevitably, it's exactly what you said. If I were a perfect judge, which I'm not, but even in my frailty, I can look at the situation and I can look and easily see that this is 95 or 98 or 99% her sin. But I'm the leader at home. I, and if I'm honest, I, I can find at least 1%, maybe 5%, 10% of my of my own failure. And, and so if I will humble myself out of the, under the mighty hand of God in my gentle love to her, let God handle the 99% that she failed and deal fully and completely without excuse about my 1%. That's redemptive love. That's lavishing love. And that's love that the Spirit then takes in His time can make conviction on her heart. Yes, sir? Uh, it's not always a sin. It's a habit that, that you, uh, she does Amen. So sometimes we're not talking about that they sin against us, they just flat out irritate us because of a preference. Right, and, right. And, but, but that is part of a, of a relationship, isn't it? Jim? Recently I've been listening to a series on uh, marriage, and this was a light bulb moment. We've all heard this verse, we, and the two shall become one flesh. We all know that. But the pastor's point was that when your wife is hurting, She's part of you. So if you're sick, you've got a sore throat or whatever, you're going to try to find a cause and take care of it. When your wife is hurting, a lot of times where, where our perception of that is we don't get they're hurting. And we need to understand that if they're part of our flesh, we need to take care of that, that problem. So that leads us back to where we are, and that is talking about how do we lavishly love our wives and uh, I think Clay gave um, an amazing um, truth, but there's so many others. Um, brother? Lavishing our love doesn't always have to do when there's a problem. 
you could say everything's perfect right now. Huh? I'm doing everything my wife asked me to do, and all that's getting done. Lavishing is when you do more than what she expects, more than what she asked you to do. You go a step further. You think of what she might want okay. and everything like that. That's lavishing. Amen. Amen. Kim? Uh, for me, it's time. I'm in a busy season in my life, and, and I don't have a lot of spare time. But uh, if there is a date night specific for time with her, okay. and to take that time and make sure that I concentrate on her, which I don't always do. I, sometimes it's date night, we go out to eat, and that's what we do. But to take that time and, and concentrate on her and her needs versus my wants. And a lot of times we go someplace to eat that I want to go to. Okay. I need to go someplace that she's comfortable at, someplace that's quiet. So all of this biblical love or lavishing, sometimes it's doing, but sometimes it's just being and understanding. May, may I say this? I'm, because we'll run out of time, so we have to, we have to move along. But listen, for a woman, I've done enough marital counseling and premarital counseling and living with a woman to tell you this. There probably isn't anything you can do that lavishes them any more than if you truly will take regular time and desire to listen to them. Hold it. I didn't say hear them. I said listen to them. To draw out of them. To let them talk without you having to explain the answer. Oh, well, that's easy. Just do this. No, to listen. To engage. That's lavishing them with love. It's lavishing them with love. Because, now, come on. Hello. How many of us here love to just listen? (laughs) And do you know that um, your wife, I'm assuming she's saved, that she's as dwelt with the same Holy Spirit you are? Have you ever said something and then when you said it, in a little while, the Spirit of God showed you how stupid that was? How wrong that was? Uh, do you know there's a place sometimes just to let your wife talk without you correcting her? Without you fine-tuning her and letting the Spirit of God do that? Because you just listened and then maybe... I mean, you have to learn how to do this. You can't. Just, you have to listen and say, well, that's interesting. <laughs> That is a non-statement that won't get you in trouble. <laughs> you don't have to agree with everything that you heard, but you need to listen, engage. Well, really? Well, explain that further. Why, why, why that would lavish her with love. And, and, and we'll look at this more, but before I run out of time, let me just say this. I don't know a woman that doesn't want to be lavished with words. Lavished with words. Three ways, at a minimum, you ought to lavish your wife with words. Let me say this without any apology. The number one way you ought to lavish her with words is that if you die before you see her again, she ought to be able to close her eyes and she ought to be able to hear your voice because scores and hundreds, and if you've lived as long as me, thousands of times she has heard you pray. She has heard you pray for her. She hears you bringing redemptive truth to her life, to 
through prayer. Lavisher the words of prayers to God. Lavisher to that. Can I can I get a, a testimony and an amen? amen? No, a louder than we're to do that. But let me ask you a question. Why do you think the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray? Do you think maybe they heard him pray? It pretty much impacted them, didn't it? Our wives had to hear us pray. So, words. Lavish her with prayer. Now, pray with her, of course, and pray with your family, but, but learn to lavish your, your wife with the prayers of the Scripture. Learn to be able to go through the model prayer and apply it to her. And pray it in, in Jesus' name for her. Lavish her with prayer. Words of prayer. Lavish her with words of praise. I didn't say flattery. I said praise. Lavish her with words of praise. Look for the character qualities of Christ in her that you can praise her about and praise her. Don't, don't you worry about her getting lifted up and cry. Okay? The, the, the enemy of the soul will lie to her enough. You need to encourage her. What are, what are ways that you can see, genuine ways, where the character of Christ is outflowing in her life and praise her for it? Be thankful, be grateful, and let her hear that over and over again. And then thirdly, I know we live in in a day of, of text and, and email, and, and those are all good things, and hearing things verbally are really good, but I'm telling you for a woman, listen to me. God knew there were going to be text and there were going to be email, but he still gave us the written he gave us the written word. Now, our words aren't as good as God's. I'm, I'm not making that, that illustration. Every illustration falls short. But have you ever seen the video? Woody was part of it. What an amazing thing. Our church had a little part of it. When Bibles were smuggled into China and believers received those Bibles for the first time, the word for the first time, the, the, the weeping and the kissing of the Scripture. The words of very God. They died. You know, some of your wives are almost as starved for reading your words, reading that you love her, reading that you appreciate her, reading that to you she's the most beautiful woman on the face of the earth, reading in your own writing that you actually know that she's been cooking meals for you for 25 years and that she's how much you appreciate, how much you appreciate that she raised the children or she cares for you. And, and you sit down and you write that for her. It'll be redemptive. It'll have an impact on her. But that's going to take you time. That means you're going to have to forget about yourself. That's going to be self-sacrificing. You're going to have to give something else up. It's going to be selfless. But I want to tell you something. That, that's going to be lavishing her and love. Now, I got a list that could take us another three hours that we don't have time to go through. But the um, power of lavishing uh, our wives.
Look what it says in B. Sacrifice personal privileges and interests as Christ did. Your leadership in the home is not about you or your happiness. We've already talked about that. And it's not about how hard it is to live with somebody with severe weaknesses. Your wife has some severe weaknesses. You have some severe weaknesses. God's put you together that, that you might be used to bring that redemptive truth to her life. And as you love her unconditionally, and as you're willing to, to remove the log out of your own eyes, as you're willing to sit here and say, Sweetheart, would you, would you help me? Um, would you help me be gentle? The Scripture says, Let your moderation, your gentleness, your reasonableness be known to all men. And Judy, I'm a man of extremes. I'm all in or I'm all out. I'm up or I'm down. Let's roll or let's do nothing. That's Larry Brother. And Judy, I know that sometimes that's the last thing we need. Would you pray for me and would you hold me accountable when I'm not being gentle? When I'm not being reasonable? When I'm not moderate? I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do it from your perspective. And unless you show me, and unless you stop me, I can't learn. And so, Judy, I promise, I don't want to be a harsh man. When you hear me being harsh, when you hear me being hard, when you hear me being anything except gentle or moderate, just put your hand up. It's a stop sign. I promise you, if you do that, I'll stop immediately. I'll think and reflect about what I've said, about how I've said it. I won't challenge you on it. Well, when I first started that, the very first time she did that, there are no hairs on the back of my neck that didn't start up, and everything in my heart wanted to defend myself. And it took me years to learn how to be a gentleman, a gentleman, and a kind man, and a soft man, and a caring man, and a loving man. But I had to first confess my own weaknesses, the one that I knew was there and I knew it was, it was right. I grew up in a macho man's world. I know how to raise my voice to make sure everybody knows I'm the executive pastor and I'm in charge here. So just shut up and do what I say. Is there been a man here that doesn't know how to communicate that without saying through his body language, with his little stiffness of the word? Now, I want to tell you something that stinks. That's the aroma of death, is what we say in Corinthians. That's the aroma of death. That's not the aroma of life. No, no the aroma of life was that anointing, the anointing of the wonderful oil that Mary put on Jesus' feet, knowing he was going to the grave and going to come out of the grave. And God will empower us to have that beautiful And when we admit our own faults through our lives and beg them to pray for us and hold us accountable, that begins to open them up to asking us to help them. And so, a very important um, part of living with somebody who has a severe weakness 
And our wives have severe weaknesses, just as we do. On the next page it says, it's about reversing the curse by the power of the Spirit and putting Christ's power on display for the sake of the gospel. We're to love her when she's least spiritually lovable. And we're to demonstrate patience and forgiveness. We're going to spend a whole section on patience and forgiveness. And so we won't look at that now. But what might be some examples, if I might say, of how we could set aside personal interests or personal preferences, as it, as it says here, um, sacrifice personal privileges, privileges and interests as Christ did. You as men, we've talked about lavishing. Now, how would we set aside a personal interest, a personal desire that we have in a, in a special way for the sake of our watch? What, what might be a practical example of that? How do you do that? If you don't do that, then how would you suggest somebody, the guy next to you, do it? Kim? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, when my wife gets sick, she wants attention. She wants me to stop doing what I'm doing. Wants the first year of the cold, not the second. Yes. And a lot of times I feel like what I what, what I got to do this evening is so important. It's really got to be done this evening. And, and I need to change my way of thinking that there's nothing more important other than my relationship with God than consequently with my wife when she needs it most. She okay, needs it good. And, and at least for me, I'll find that I can do something and the doing of it did no good because my attitude is wrong. I, I did it because I had to. I did it because she's weak rather than I did it because I did it as unto the Lord. I did it as though it was for him. It was for his glory. It was it was for his sake. And now I go to her to minister. Now she senses that in her spirit because my spirit and her spirit bear witness that we're in one body we're one we're one flesh. Clay? I'm tempted when I come home after a long day of work <clears throat> to think that I've earned something. Like, I, I, I have to just kind of consciously battle that, even on the way home, and just ask the Lord for help in that to come home and serve my family. You know, they're equally my ministry, and they're my most foundational ministry. And so, um, just when I walk through the door, this is not like my haven where I get, you know, I, I can rest and do whatever I want. It's like, So driving home, you have to sort of die to self. You have to forget about yourself. You have to die to yourself. And you have to prepare to live for him to die for you. And whatever that means, when you walk in that door, will you sense what what is her need? Because sometimes you're going to walk in that door and, and she's filled with the Spirit and she's in control of the situation. And, and the dinner, is, you can smell the dinner in the oven and the kids are all coloring 
and the place looks neat, and you can sit down, put your feet up on the desk, and, uh, and Brother Paul read the paper. And this is other times you walk in that house, and it's the World War III song. <laughs> and you go, I want to go back out the door and go to work. <laughs> but that's when you die. And if you die, then that's when you really live. That's when you bring the redemption to the marriage. What's another way? Paul? I go play no, golf. And then you want, if they say no, you got that. Well, did I do this for you yesterday? You know, like there's almost always a selfish motive behind yeah. it. You know, um, I'll, I'll watch five chick flicks with you last week. Why did I watch a horror movie today? Right. All right. Good. Sacrificing something. And you're crushing all of our feet. There's always like selfishness. What does your wife love to do that you hate to do, but there's nothing wrong with her doing it, and she would just love to have you with her? Do you, you ever notice that? If you haven't, you should. Your wife loves to have you with her doing what she loves to do, even though you hate to do it. Don? Yeah. Being the extrovert that I am, not exactly, I'm really, I'm, I'm an introvert, and by the time I get home from work, I'm in HR, so by the time I get home from work, I'm equaled out. I just want to be left alone, and you know. And, and Sherry is just the opposite. She's the extrovert, and so you'll notice that we uh, post a lot at the house. And uh, if, if it were just me, nobody'd be over. <laughs> you know, but that's not Sherry. So recognizing that, and that's what she thrives on. And so that is something that, you know, over the years I've had to learn to. Uh, uh, adapt to, and you get to learn to enjoy it, so it's not that I hate people over, but uh, uh, you have to learn to say, hey, I, you know, I'm burned out, sure. but, you know, she needs that time, she needs to be energized that way, um, uh, so it's just a, uh, a reminder that, uh, uh, you know, I have to think about her needs and not, not my needs in that way. Amen. Uh, for me, guys, uh, I'm probably not unlike many of you, if not most of you. My definition of shopping and Judy's is quite different. Um, my wife has a car, and we're in that season of life where there aren't any kids in the home. And, and my wife could shop all week long if she wanted to. But she would much rather prefer when I have some time off than I take her shopping. Now, I think she knows this but I try to keep it a secret. I don't want to go <laughs> But that sort of throws out everything we talked about today, doesn't it? Because it's not really about what I want. So I found a compromise. I do love to read, and I don't have enough time to read. And I don't know why, but it's okay if I sit outside the store that she's in reading, or if I sit in the store that, or that she's shopping. And so I, I take a good book, Take her shopping regularly. I take my wife shopping. I suggested. I I initiated. 
Isn't that what Christ did? Isn't that what we've been called to do? Isn't that going above and beyond what we have to do? I initiate. Would you like to go shopping this evening? Would you like to go shopping this afternoon? What if we took a quick vacation and ran over to Williamsburg so we could go shopping? Well, in that case, I take three books. <laughs> and, and you give yourself to her. Uh, so you could come up with many other examples, but this is this is the example that Christ gives us. This is this is loving her. Now, let me just say this one caveat, and then I'm going to close in prayer. If this were a room full of women, I would be just as hard as them as I am with you, because those first three verses are packed as well. And and while I'm saying to you what Clay did, you better think about her and her needs when she comes home. I'm telling her. When he comes through the door, he's been beat by lions and tigers and bears all day. And if you possibly can, feed the brute. Because this is an amazing thing when his blood sugar level gets back up again, how much better he is at loving you and the kids. And so I'm just as hard on her because the scriptures command something of her too. But it's the scriptures that command her, not you that command her. And that's all the difference in the world. So let's be loving men. We're going to look next week and so look at that through starting in number 2 1 Peter 3 7 learning how to live with our, our wives dwelling with them according to knowledge as weaker vessels. What does that mean? And we're doing it because we're heirs together of the grace of life and we don't want our prayers hindered. And so we're going to Look at that passage and continue to unflow this. Look at the questions at the end. And I would like every man in here to look at those questions. There is, um, what, seven of them. And, and I would like you, if the question applies to you, to at least write a, a one-sentence answer to every single question. It would be hard just to write one sentence if it were me, but... Force yourself through. Think about the answer to those questions. And we'll have time next week then to flesh that out and to look at some of those questions. And so that's your homework for the week. Father, we are grateful that you loved us with such a sacrificial love that while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. You have redeemed us. You bought us out of the market place of sin and bondage and death brought us unto yourself you adopted us into our into your family and made us true sons of the most high god joint heirs with christ how how can we ever comprehend that you you reconciled us we were once enemies and far from you we were aliens and strangers and you brought us through the blood of Christ into a relationship with you where we're now friends with God. What an amazing salvation you have given us and what a high calling we have as men. What a high calling we have as husbands and grandfathers. Oh God, grant us the grace to grow and be the men that you've called us to be. Be with these men as they go into this week. Um, Give them wisdom. Give them discernment. Um, Help them to be alert to the wiles of the devils, his methods, his schemes that are set against them. Protect them. 
Keep them from being overwhelmed by temptation. Keep them from the evil one. Thank you that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And, and, and Lord, it's because it's your glory. It's your kingdom, both now and forever. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.